Thank you, Rosemary, uh, for reading for us this morning. Twelve months of an intensive beauty treatment and a special diet. It sounds a bit like a Miss United States pageant, um, but it's not. I was watching Miss Congeniality this week on TV, and it kind of... um, reminds me of that. But here we are this morning looking once again at what uh, I'm calling the colorful characters of the Bible. What we're hoping to do in this series is give an overview because it's not possible uh, to detail uh, in the time available every aspect of the story of each character we are dealing with. But the hope is that when you hear the overview that you will then be encouraged maybe to go home and read the story afresh in its fullness and ask yourself a couple of questions. What uh, was there that you saw discovered in the story this time that was something new to you? And is there anything in the story that makes you want to live your life differently? While I was planning for this morning, there were a number of titles I was going to use. Firstly, Esther's timing, then what happens in the harem stays in the harem, and then a tale of two cities, not sorry, not a tale of two cities, but a tale of two queens. Couldn't settle on a title, so we simply have Esther. But the thing that did keep occurring time and time again as I reflected on the story of this young girl is that God is actively calling us to make a difference in the world, both in big and small ways. God is actively calling us to make a difference in the world, both in big and small ways. Belle, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, Pocahontas, Esther. In Sunday school, they always made the story of Esther sound like the Disney, like a Disney princess. Young, pretty, dressed in fine clothes, and no doubt blessed with a fine singing voice. Her story was told as a love story, complete with its own aloof Prince Charming, who picked her by means of a beauty pageant. Stories. Stories operate at different levels. What could begin as the story of a beauty pageant in Sunday school changes. As we grow and develop and mature, we are able to understand more of what is going on in the story. We discover that there is something sinister going on in this story. And that's how it should be with Scripture, because as we continually come to Scripture at different times in our lives, it should be able to speak into the situations that we find ourselves in, whether we're 4, 14, 44, or 84. These are all of life stories. It's not about grasping it all at the beginning, but it's developing the story with the stage that you're at. So back to the story of Esther. Her story takes place in an ancient Near Eastern culture that regarded women as property. A culture in which Jews like Esther were struggling to retain their identity and safety amidst the violence power, excess, debauchery, and fertility of the Persian Empire. During this week, when I was preparing, I came across something that Martin Luther had written. The great reformer said that the story of Esther was basically a horrible story, and he was sad that it was ever written and said it shouldn't even be in the Bible. 
makes you a little apprehensive as you begin your prep when you read a comment like that. Esther has been labeled as a disparate story. So when I hear a statement like that, my next logical question is, what's a disparate story? Coming from the Greek meaning scattered or dispersion, this refers to the time in the Jewish people's history during the Babylonian exile. Roughly around 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Solomon's temple, tore down the city walls of Jerusalem, and sent a large part of the Jewish population into an exile that would last nearly 50 years. Psalm 137 captures the pain of the Jewish people during this time. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and there we wept when we remembered Zion. The absence of a temple and a homeland raised some serious questions about what it meant to be the people of God, particularly under the rule of pagan kings. How can Jews survive? Can Jews thrive? What did it mean to act out their faith? Should kosher be kept? What should be done in lieu of sacrifices? Has God abandoned the people of Israel or have the people of God abandoned God? How do Jews interact with the pagan culture around them? The stories of Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther all deal with how individual Jews navigated these tricky waters and have served as models for hundreds of years to Jews who have remained dispersed around the world for centuries. Winner comments, Esther is also a story about exile, about being an exiled Jew, an exiled person of faith, and what it means to live in a place that is foreign, to live in a place where you are foreign and your relatives are aliens. Esther is a book for winner about how to live your life in a community and in a place that is indifferent or even hostile to you. God is actively calling us in big and small ways to make a difference in the world. So who is this character Xerxes? Well, he's a great Persian king, and he ruled and he reigned. And he towers over human history in this period of time, but he also towers over the story of Esther. He is at this point in his life, in his mid-30s, and he's in the third year of his reign. This means that when Esther enters the scene, she's 15 to 20 years younger than he is. He's a man who grew up very wealthy and very affluently. He's commented upon by most of the major historians of the time. If Esther was anything like a typical teenage girl in this culture, she wouldn't have expected to have any say in her marital future at all. So when she's gathered and taken with the other virgins into the harem, the chances are that she wouldn't even think to defy her male guardian or even worse, the Persian Empire. Of the girls 
brought into the harem, Fox writes, what is significant and most suppressive is that their will, whatever that might have been, is of no interest to anyone in the story. They're handed around from home to harem to king's bed. Their bodies belong to others, so much so that they are not even pictured as being forced. Like so many heroines from Scripture, Tamar, Sarah, Rachel, Abigail, Ruth, Esther works the system, the patriarchal system, to her advantage. This is how women stayed alive in these days. And it's how, as we read the colorful genealogy of Jesus, we see that women brought a savior into the world. The book of Esther opens with a banquet. At the height of his glory and wealth, the king throws a lavish multi-day banquet for the nobles of the court. Feasts were held day and night in the palace garden, where fine blue and white Linen hung from marble pillars, and merrymakers lounged on couches made of gold and silver and precious stones. Wine was so abundant that the king allowed each guest to drink as much as he wanted. No restrictions were placed. So on the seventh day, you can imagine Xerxes and the other people present were in high spirits. He commanded the seven eunuchs who served him to bring Queen Vashti to the garden because he wanted to display her to all his friends. But she doesn't follow. Her defiance infuriates the king. He consulted his closest advisors on how to respond to his wife's disobedience. How to respond to his wife's disobedience. We will see time and time again in the story of Esther that King Xerxes reacts emotionally and then relies on other people to think for him. Of course, this opens a door for Esther, who will be drafted into the king's harem so that he can choose a better queen, presumably one for him who he expects to be silent and submissive because that's what he likes. We never learn Vashti's fate, but I think we can all agree she probably didn't meet a happy end. But even for those who falter, we can't fail to acknowledge that without Queen Vashti, there could never have been a Queen Esther's. The two queens save the Jews. Esther by appearing before the king and Vashti by refusing to do so. So how is the king going to find a new queen? Well, we get the X Factor boot camp and we get the, you know, the judges' houses round and then we get to the live shows and the people don't look like they looked when they entered the process and suddenly they're gorgeous and they've got this amazing backstory and we all dial our numbers on our phones to vote for them. I think David probably had that right. Um, this is not some audition, though, for the X Factor. There are, there's no audition tapes or casting calls or, or rose ceremonies where people decide who's the right person. There's simply an edict from the most powerful man in the world followed by enforcement. Regardless of how Esther felt about this or whether she cooperated, she was at the mercy of a ruthless pagan 
king. Situations and circumstances were out of her control. But Esther is there for a reason. We read as we go through scripture that she doesn't tell anyone about her family or who her people were. But then the story turns sinister. Officers hatch a plan to kill the king. And who is the person that overhears this plan? Well, it's Mordecai, who had been looking after Esther, as we heard in our reading. And he then naturally decides that he's going to tell Esther so that he can move this up the chain of command. So it's Esther's turn to tell the king. One slight problem. People know that Mordecai is Jewish. I mean, people know this because he wouldn't follow orders to bow before the king's second in command. So a new plan is hatched. What starts as a plan originally to kill the king now turns into a plan to kill Mordecai, and not just to kill Mordecai, but to kill all his people, the Jews, and take everything that they owned. Now, you can imagine that Mordecai didn't take this lying down. He decides that he needs to do something about it. And when he hears about the threat and the command that was due to be issued, he tears his clothes, puts on a rough cloth and ashes, and went out into the city crying loudly and painfully. It reminds me of the Martin Niemöller thing, you know, when he wrote, when the Nazis went after the Jews, I wasn't a Jew, so I didn't react. Then they persecuted the Catholics, and I wasn't a Catholic, so I didn't move. Then they went after the workers, and I was not a worker, so I didn't stand up. And when they went after the Protestant clergy, I moved, I reacted, I stood up. But by then, I was too late, because by that time, there was no one left to speak up for anyone. Mordecai has to do something. When Esther hears what Mordecai is doing, she and her servants send him clothes to cover himself up. And Mordecai warns Esther that just because she is part of the system now, living in the king's palace, that when they come to kill the Jews, it won't, she will not be spared. So another plan is conspired. So Esther decides that she will have a word with the king. She decides she's going to risk it all. The king says to her that he will give her whatever she wants, so long as it is no more than half his kingdom. And her request, all she asks the king for, is a simple dinner. Dinner with the king and his second in command. No, this is not an episode of Come Dine With Me at all. They repeat the experience the second night, and again the king asks Esther, what is it she wants? And the reply, my king, if you are pleased with me, if it pleases you, let me live. This is what I ask. I let my people live too. This is what I want. My people have been sold to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be completely wiped out. And with the plea, the situation changes. Esther had to be in the harem in order to get to the king. Esther had to be there to be able to influence the situation 
and to, to affect it. I suppose as I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded of the kind of Barack Obama slogan when he was elected to power, and it was, we are the change that we have been waiting for. Sometimes, as we go about our daily lives, we may not know why we are in a certain position, move in a certain community, have the certain family that we do, Yet we are reminded that God is calling us in big and small ways to make a difference in the world. Maybe some of us are making that difference. Maybe some of us are just helping others make that difference. But there is an action to be taken. Fitzroy What is God calling us to do to make a difference in the world around us, both in big and small ways? One of the the favorite quotes from the story of Esther is, For such a time as this, as we look down Botanic, what is God saying to us for such a time as this? As we look around our city, what is God saying to us for such a time? a time as this. As we look at our denomination, what is God saying to us for such a time as this? Silence, not an option. Indifference, not an option. Not standing up for values in the face of injustice can not only be seen in the examples of international affairs like Germany or Rwanda, but it can also be seen in our everyday lives and relationships. In 1964, a girl called Kitty was tragically stabbed to death outside her apartment three times. While bystanders who observed the crime didn't step in to help or to call the police, it then coined a phrase, the bystander effect. And the bystander effect is the tendency of people in crowds to stand by passively, either because they take their cue from others who are not acting, or because they themselves think that someone else will do it. The larger the number of witnesses and bystanders, the less likely that one person takes action. If there are fewer witnesses, onlookers are more likely to intervene. Bystanders. We can't be bystanders. Esther, if she had been a bystander, her whole people, maybe even herself, could have ended up dead. But she took the cue. She stood up for what she knew was right. As Emily Sandy would sing, you've got the words to change a nation, but you're biting your tongue because you've spent a lifetime stuck in silence, afraid you'll say something wrong. For such a time as this, what is God saying to us? As we approach this table, what is God saying to us for such a time as this? For such a time as this, minute, hour, day, week, month, where is God placing us and what is he telling us to do for such a time as this? Esther, Disney princess, 
are so much more. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word as always, we are overwhelmed sometimes by the challenge of it. Yet we realize as we encounter people and their stories, we can see what actions they made and what responses those actions brought about. We realize this morning that you are calling us to be your people, a people of faith in a world around us. May we take the time to listen to you, to seek out what you're saying to us individually and corporately for such a time as this. And in the listening, would you stir us to action? And may we have the courage to go out and make that difference. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.